0: You know, as time got on, like went on, I met people who much more advanced in terms of like personal finance and like, you know, understanding money, how to budget. I didn't even know what the hell that was back then. And just learning things through through so many conversations and, and all these connections with these people, learning their kind of tools that they have in life and applying those to my situation and allowing you know, using it as a tool to get myself to where I am now. And that's, I can pretty much do whatever the hell I want whenever I want and don't really have to worry about it.
1: This is the seasonals podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here with Brendan Lyle today. How are we doing, Brendan?
0: I'm doing great, Joe. How are you?
1: Really good. Yeah, I'm uh, out here enjoying Colorado and all the great weather it has to offer. Where Where in the world are you? I'm in sunny Apple Valley, California. It's a nice
0: breezy day, roughly 92 degrees.
1: So it's beautiful. For those of us that don't know California's geography exactly, is that whereabouts is that?
0: So it's in a high desert. Um, you're looking like roughly 80 to 90 miles northeast from Los Angeles, like 3,000 feet in elevation, kind of surrounded by a uh, bunch of desert and some mountains off in the distance that are still snow-capped. So it's, uh yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. I don't really have a beach next to me, which I wish I did, but it's great. I really, really
1: like it here. It's, it's a great place to uh, be quarantined, I'll say that. Yeah, that's an important thing right now. Having a having a great location to get quarantined in.
0: Yeah, man, it's something cool to look at and uh nice weather is just just it's so imperative to me, especially cuz I mean spending spending a lot of time in Ketchikan when it rains and it's like I I in my off time I need I need the sun, you know.
1: So yeah, we met we met in Ketchikan. You were a zipline guide when I first met you, but then you moved into sales. Tell me sort of what what you would be doing right now if you were in Ketchikan.
0: Yeah, so if I was in Ketchikan right now, roughly what time is it in Alaska? Yeah, I mean, I'd be standing on the dock right now probably or just walking off of the the cruise ship dock pitching tours, selling as many seats on an airplane ride to the Misty Fjords as I possibly could be, closing deals at any cost. You know the rule, ABC. Yeah, so just, Selling as many torches as I possibly can, chatting it up with with all the cruise ship passengers. But um, life is quite different right now for me, obviously, than uh, than it would be had this COVID nineteen thing not really kicked our ass.
1: There's no no cruise ships. They're uh, talking about maybe later in the season, but I'm not incredibly uh, confident in that being a possibility. But so yeah, yeah. For, so you're
0: you're on the uh, you're on the side that you, you don't think it's there's going to be a salvageable season.
1: I not just, to, I just not to be doom no. and glooming, but I just think, you know, the first cruise ship or the cruise line that has a new case of COVID on a disembarked ship is done. That's the death sentence. So I don't think any of them are going to are willing to take that chance. Yeah, yeah,
0: you cannot recover from that scenario. And it's so I think it's so likely that that could happen. I mean i'll I'll say it straight up i I think that there's no there's no cruise ship season happening in southeast Alaska. I am fa- fairly certain the uh, may, maybe you get some Norwegian ships, but I think everyone else will be they'll pull out.
1: who hasn't yet right, yeah, I mean, for the people that are up there i I guess I kind of hope that they do, but i just, I don't see it happening. But tell me, tell me a little, cause the job, the doc salesman for me, cause I got a little taste of it is mm-hmm. I would guess unless you're an actual pilot or, you know, maybe a, a good day as a, a tour guide checks out whales is one of the most exhilarating jobs in the summer season that you can find, you know, make, making a break in, making those sales, talking to so many people in a day and, you know, mm-hmm. every day you're. You're testing different strategies, different combinations of words to making, making people lay down their money for these awesome experiences. It seems like it would do itself. And sometimes it definitely does, but go through, say your, your morning, like how you would start the day, get into the, the actual nuts and bolts of what you do out there on the dock and tell me about the, you know, some of the great days and what happens afterwards.
0: Man, like a standard day. Just like kind of you said, you, you, you've you definitely dabbled in it a little bit, and we had some good times in some booths together. Uh, but, I mean, you show up down on the dock bright and early. You're talking, you know, most days, I'm well, I should be there at 6 o'clock, but I'm really rolling in at 620. You walk in, you unlock that booth, you put out your signage, man, and you got every kind of tour product available that was available on the ship, and then some you have signage for everything and you, you know, I spend, I spend my entire day basically uh, being a carnival barker at all of these people that are pouring off of the ship. You you know, I mean, my goal is to sell as many chores as I possibly can every single day. You know, sometimes you have great days. You can fill up airplanes until they're completely sold out and, you know, make 11, $1,200 and, you know, ninety minutes, or you can sit inside the the uh, Visitors Bureau in and catch can and sit there for twelve hours and not make a dollar. It's very much rivals gambling. It's extremely exhilarating. That's coming from like you said, I was a zip line guide when I was up there, so I mean, I hung out in the trees, one hundred and fifty feet up, roughly eight to ten hours a day for several seasons. I, I will say that selling tours on the dock is is much more exhilarating than that, mainly because you just you just see you really get a good glimpse as to how much money really exchanges hands through the cruise line industry and you get to get your own little, little sliver of it. And you kind of, you make it to what you want it to be. And, you know, if you want to be lazy one day or you're, you're a little hung chow from partying at the sourdough the night before, I mean, you're, you're probably going to feel it in the wallet the next day, but yeah, man, I just try to close as many deals as I can. And Luckily, i brag bragging myself a little bit. Um, I got stock salesman of the year three years in a row. so it seems to have worked. And I obviously right. I'm a junkie for the I'm a junkie for the deal, which you know
1: oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to hear. The uh, we got the top salesman of the year th- three years in a row right here.
0: <laughs> I wish that I could do it a fourth time man, but I just uh, well, I mean if there if there's no season technically, if I go back next year, you know, for 2021, I could have four in a row. Technically,
1: yeah, so, yeah, it could be a, a lockout, canceled year, and you could get the fourth. yeah.
0: Which I, I would really like to hold that over a couple people's heads, but.
1: <laughs> so tell me, tell me a couple home run stories. You know, because I I've seen some some wild stuff happen out there on the dock concerning yeah. sales and huge numbers and you know walk offs and stuff like that. So give me a couple of your favorites to kind of detail, you know, what really goes on. Okay. So the one that I really like to go to in terms of that and it's probably
0: I would say to my knowledge it was it was the biggest deal definitely of the season. It might be dollar value, the biggest deal that's been done. I don't quote me on that, but it's pretty close. It kind of goes back to my first season. So my first season selling on the dock, uh, which would have been, uh, 17, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 2017. I was working down on birth one and I was, uh, I was with a guy known as Tim Cash and, uh, we were in the booth together, man. And just kind of just crushing it all day. Right. Had, we pretty much sold everything we could and it was a bright, sunny day and I mean, you know what it's like in catch bluebird days, man. People just, they, they want to do everything that they can do. I mean, you can't, yeah, you almost can't pitch tours fast enough. And, and like you said, sometimes you kind of get yourself into a scenario where you're, you're just telling versus selling until you run into kind of the situation that we ran into, which is you get a huge group of people that all want to do something that they haven't had the chance ever to do before. When you're dealing with large groups of people, obviously it can become a logistical nightmare very quickly, which is kind of what happened to us. So basically this family comes off the ship and man, I I want to say it was a celebrity ship, but I, I, I can't be sure. So we're, we're standing on birth one. We had a really, really good location. I mean, you, we were first booth, I mean, right there, primetime real estate for the day. So you know we're pitching tours, crushing it all day, and we kind of get to this family. And I see like a group of, I may, it might have been four or five of them at the time. They, I mean, they walk down the gangway, they're walking up the dock, and super well dressed. And Joe, you know, man, we, we you like to target people on the dock that are very well dressed. They're decked head to toe and designer everything. You Absolutely. know they got money to burn, and 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 you got to close those deals, and you got to close them at a good rate. So this guy, he comes up and he's got two of his sons and a a couple, a couple of his daughters with him. And you can tell they got, I mean, they're, it's going to be a big family and they're from Mexico city. The dad and the 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 two sons kind of come forward and straight up, like walk right to us. I think cash is kind of over behind me doing his thing, pitching another product. Well, I get to talking to these sons and they're like, we want to do everything that we can. And I mean, dude, you're looking at when you get that phrase or something along those lines standing on the dock, that is your I mean, that's your pitch right there. That's the one that you got to drive home. Like, I mean, you got to knock it out of park. So I'm like, kind of falling all over myself. This is the first time, because this is my first <laughs> season selling. It was the first time I was like that I really remember kind of getting that scenario where I was like, I know these people have money to burn." And they can have a really cool experience if I, if I play this right. And I can, you know, I can take it to the bank. So some time goes on and, you know, I'm picking their brain. You know, what are you guys like interested in seeing? Like, what's your, what's your goal of being here? Well, you know, it's a bright sunny day. We, we have the airplane thing already booked. Um, and I, I, I think that truly they were going on a helicopter like up north, sea glaciers or whatever. So they didn't want to go flying. They wanted to stay on the ground. But they had something planned already. So I'm like, okay, well, what kind of time are you working with? And I think that they had they had to do a lumberjack show and they do something else. Well, keep in mind, dude, this is like, this is in like August. You know what the weather's typically like in August. I mean, it's freaking hot. That usually can compromise some of our tour products, right? Like and specifically referencing bear tours. When it's hot outside, it's 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 typically really difficult to see bears there. And, you know, they like to hide out in the shade. So, I you know, I started talking to them. They're like, man, we want to see, we want to see bears. That's what we want to do. And I'm like, okay, of course. So, and all day long, man, we've been told, you know, bear sightings are, they're, they're happening, but, you know, don't be pushing the product as much as some other days that we can. Okay. You can't okay, okay. guarantee bears. Well, you cannot guarantee you just, bears. You, <laughs> no, you, you can't guarantee any kind of wildlife. Some people will stand on the dock and they will guarantee you a bear sighting, but they are flat out lying. I'm not one of those guys. And the the guys that I work with, none of us do that shit. It's just, it's not worth the backlash that you're going to encounter. It's just not worth it. So, you know, I'm talking to them and, you know, they got to go do their other excursions or whatever. And I want I want to say it was a lumberjack show and something else they had to do. Okay. So they're going to be gone for three hours and they got to grab lunch. So I'm like, all right, guys. So what, you know what kind of like, what size group are we working with here? You know, I see five of you or whatever. How many are you talking? The guy's like, Oh, well there's 16 of us. And I'm like, okay. Like that's, that's a nice hit 16. I'm down with that. That's a whole tour group by themselves. It gets, you know, we're talking and one of them ends up being on the phone and, and this is a whole long exchange and you know, man, how it gets, people start spidering out and you're like, man, is this really going to go down? How is this really going to work? People start walking away from the booth, and I only had five of them or so standing in front of me. This is kind of before I was confident enough in my my ability to say, "Hey, look, you know, I need the money up front before we do this whole thing, right?" Which I do now, but back then I was like, "Dude, I got to figure out how to make this work." You know, that's all I cared about. Finally, I figured out. Like, they got to go to this tour, and then they said they got to have lunch right afterwards. Okay, so I'm assuming they went to the fish house or you know, stands for some pizza or whatever they did. I'm like, I get, I get two of the phone numbers, right, of the, of the people that I'm talking to. And I, I think it was the two of the sons. I got their phone numbers and they're going to go off and do their thing. And they say, okay, so you call me back you, or you call us when you have something solid that you know we can do. And I'm like, okay, so this is really an open-ended deal. And typically these scenarios I've learned over the course of time, typically this kind of shit does not work itself out you end up losing the deal. So it's very uncertain, but I'm like, dude, this is a big group and I got to get this. Okay. So keep in mind at the time, it was supposed to be like 16, 15, 16 people. I'm calling and I call out South and I call to the rainforest sanctuary and I get Karen on the phone. I'm like, Hey, I got these guys. It's a family of like 16 and they want to go see some bears. So like, what can we do? And she's like, of course, she's like, Brendan, you know, you can't guarantee bears. It's, it's hot outside, blah, blah, blah. We're seeing some, but, don't, don't promise anything. Okay. I got it. But like, can we do it? Can we put this together?
1: (laughs) That's the conversation I had so many times with her is like, all right, I've Uh got this, like, what can we do? And it, she goes off into this thing. It's like, no, just tell me, give me the facts. Like let's, can we do it or not?
0: Yeah. Yes. Give me the backbone of this thing. And then I'll create everything else around it. Just give me the facts of what I need to know. And that is, can we make this happen or not? Can you get a guide? And can I get a, a driver to drive these people out there and get them back? So keep in mind, all aboard is an issue, okay? Because you know these people gotta be back to get to the ship. That is the that's the main question or the main objective, rather, that we get standing on the dock every single day, every pitch. Am I going to be back in time to make my ship? Absolutely. We're ship operator, no issues, okay? So the way that I work this is. Karen said, yeah, we can make it work, but they're only going to have an hour and 15 minutes. Okay, that's fine. They just want to go out and see some bears. So what I did was I figure out basically, well, you know, a bear tour is three hours, right? So if you're a regular bear tour and we run it at a certain price and we can discount it here and there or whatever. But you got to get the best price you can, right? And that helps us out, obviously, because, well, the company makes more money and we ourselves make more money. So we want to get the highest price we can. So what I do is I basically take the tour, divide the price by the three hours that they're supposed to take and find out what they pay per minute on this tour. And that means per minute from the time that they leave the dock until the time that they get back to the dock. This is not just spectating time. This is the entire duration that they are out of my sight, so oh. I figured out on a minute-by-minute minute scenario. So what I do was, I'm like, I, I call Karen once I do all this math and I figured out. I'm like, okay, so I gotta give them, I gotta offer them a deal that's like worth it to them. I can't just say, okay, 20 minutes and it's this much per person, right? You can't do that. So I call Karen back and I'm like, okay, so here's what I came up with, and I, you know, I I can't remember exactly what the numbers are that I charge them per head, but so she's like, yeah, no, that sounds great. If you know, if if they If they agree to it, then that's fine. She's like, but you gotta make sure that they know that they are not guaranteed to see any bears. I'm like, Karen, I know, I know, I've done this a thousand times by now. I got it. She's like, okay, cool. So of course gotta call Mike, see if we can get a van or multiple vans in this scenario scenario to get these people out. So keep in mind Tim Cash is he's doing his own thing, like closing deals or doing whatever, you know, in the booth with me. But he doesn't really know what I'm doing exactly. And the reason that I make that point is because for those of you that don't know, we have to split everything that we sell. So you split it right down the middle. Um, You try to keep it as fair as possible. That way, you know, no one's butt hurt about anything. Right.
1: The person you're sharing the booth with that day.
0: Exactly. Yeah. The the guy that you're working, you're teamed up with in the booth. He doesn't exactly know that, you know, this group of four or five people that I talked to was actually a much larger group. And that, you know, we can possibly make this thing happen. So, I get the deal all put together. And so I got to call and make the pitch over the phone to the 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 sons, right? So I call them, no answer, of course. And I'm like, shit, there goes all that freaking work, which is the first thing we always think, right? It's like, dude, I just did all that shit for nothing. Yep. They, you know, spidered out through town. It's done. Dude, I shit you not. That kid called me back about two minutes later. It's like, hey, is this Brendan? Sure is, man. Hey, so I got your, you know, I got your beard, your bear tour set up for you guys. If you want to run back down here to the booth, I can kind of tell you about it. He's like, well, we're, you know, we're kind of, we're eating lunch right now. And, you know, can you just tell me about it over the phone? And I'm like, shit, dude, like, that's the last thing you want to do. But I'm like, shit, whatever. This is my only shot at it. So, yeah, man. So here's the deal. You've got, you guys have, you know, two hours and 15 minutes from right now to get back to your all aboard, to get back to your ship which they're all aboard call. I don't know. For those of you who don't know, it's the time that they got to be back on the dock, standing in line to get back on the ship. If they miss that, they got a big problem. More so, I've got a big problem because I'm in trouble. So I got to make sure this whole thing goes off without a you know hitch. These guys, I tell them, you got you know, two hours and 15 minutes from right now. The quicker you get back to me, the faster you guys can go through your chore. We're going to drive you out, give you the full experience you guys get. You're going to have private access. To the bear viewing platforms, and the reason that I could even pitch it as private access is because it was so late in the day, there were no other tours out there. So, <laughs> right, yeah. So I, you know, I created an extra angle out of it that they didn't really have. The kid's like, "Oh man, that sounds like that sounds great. Let me let me tell my dad." So I'm like, "Okay, you know, well, I mean, are you going to like come down here? Or how how are we going to like close this thing out?" And he's like, "I'll call you right back." And I'm like, "Okay." So I hang up the phone with him. Some waiting, on my thumbs, whatever. And then Cash asks me, you know, dude, what's what's going on? Well, I'm like, dude, that that group, that family from Mexico City that I was talking to, that it's like a potential 16 pack. I mean, dude, we got we got 16 people that that want to go see some bears. He's like, dude, that's a three hour tour. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. I worked it out. They're gonna get roughly an hour and 15 minutes of a tour because they're eating lunch and doing all this crap. Okay, cool, man. Karen said it's cool. Yeah, we got a van? Yeah, we got multiple vans. Okay. And he's like, okay, cool, man. Well, let's get him back here. And, you know, we'll get him going. So basically, the kid, I he calls me back. His dad wants to do it. He's like, yeah, we're gonna do it. Okay. But we actually have like a couple more of our cousins that actually think that they want to go as well. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, so how many people are we talking here? Like, what are we dealing with? And he goes, well, there's like, uh, I think uh, 25, 26, 20, 30 people, I guess. And I'm like, dude, there's absolutely no way. Like, I'm not buying it. I've been through this before. People say it's 20 people. You end up with two. It doesn't work like that. So, and yeah, you've seen it too. You know, the groups, the groups of seven drop to three. Happens all the time. I'm like, all right, well, here's the deal. This is what you're going to have to do. You're going to come back. You have to come back to me 15 minutes earlier than what I told you before. And I don't even remember what the time was that I told him. You need to come back here. And I need you to have every single person that's going with you to be with you right then, standing in front of me, in front of the booth. And I need to be able to count them so that we can get your ride figured out. And then I can send you out there. Okay, yeah, man. Sounds great. I call Karen back, call Mike back. And I'm like, hey, here's the deal. This thing is apparently gone from 16 to 30. And they're like, what? No freaking way. So no one believes me. Sure enough, man, right on time, I see the kid walking down. The, he's walking down the dock. I see him, the dad, and mate. It might have been 10 of them at the time that came from lunch together. And they're walking. I'm like, okay, yeah, standard protocol. The big group dropped, and it's way smaller than what it was going to be. Okay, so I start talking to the kid, and he's like – He's like, actually, he's like, yeah, the rest of our family, they're still on the ship. They're going to be coming out here in a minute. And I'm like, okay, dude, you got to get them out here like right now. So this time I've got one, two, three vans pulled up on berth one, open doors, little stool sitting out next to it, ready to be loaded up, right? I'm standing there and dude, sure enough, man, walking down, walking down the dock, right off the gangway. Here comes grandma. Here comes all the cousins. Here comes the sister, dude ends up, I shit you not, there's 28 of them. And I count them all out. There's 28 of them. And I'm like, man, you said it was going to be 30. He's like, well, I wasn't for sure. He's like, I knew it was over 25, but I couldn't be sure. And I'm like, okay, cool. So while I'm doing this, there is a family of four that come up to me and they're like, what's this group of people doing? And I'm like, hmm, funny you should ask. Um, they're gonna go take a bear tour for about an hour and fifteen minutes. Would you like to join them? And I just kind of cracked it as a joke, <laughs> thinking they're so close to their olive board, there's no way this family's gonna say yes. Sure enough, they're like, Yeah, absolutely, that sounds great. How much is it? So I just gave them the same rate that the rest of the I gave the other family. Dude, it ends up being so it ends up being 32 people for an hour and 15 minutes, which is the quickest bear tour I've ever seen. I, it was like forty six hundred dollars, I think, is forty eight hundred dollars that they ended up paying total. In one freaking swipe, the dude, the guy, the head of the family from Mexico city paid for the other four to go with them. Wow. Did not see it coming. And he goes, dude, I didn't even know he was going to do it until after the fact that it came out that it was one charge and he paid for all of the people. And I found out about it from the van driver. They told me at the end, they were like, yeah, he just, he just swiped his credit card dude ended up paying for the other four people who he didn't even know uh, dude it was just like that man and we closed up the booth sent him on and i was like man i, I cash and i are hoping and praying that these this family sees bears and i'm like so i told karen i'm like hey i need you to call me and tell me if they did or not she called me and sure enough they saw bears funny enough we actually as soon as we closed up the booth we went and um we were playing frisbee throughout the woods. I think that you were with us. Like, I think you came that day.
1: Yeah. I I know, think but I yeah, man. It. That
0: was, yeah, dude. We, yeah, we closed. It was a 30, 32 people on a freaking bear tour in one mm-hmm. shot, man. So that was, um, in terms of the home runs that I've hit, that was definitely, that was the biggest deal that I've, uh, I've done in, in one credit card swipe. That is, uh, I've done, I've done other ones where they were the denomination the total denomination was larger, but it was split up into separate payments. But yeah, that was the, that was definitely the, the biggest home run that, that I hit for sure. And I'll tell you what, dude, me, me and Tim were pretty, pretty happy about that, man. It was a, uh, it was a good day down on birth one.
1: Yeah, I bet. So yeah, that's, I mean, you know, in just that conversation, what you walked away with about a grand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That day we uh, definitely, yeah, through the course of the day, we, yeah, plus we all poured. your
1: other sales. Yeah. That's just mm-hmm. from one yeah. sale.
0: Yeah. We, we each made, um, over a thousand dollars that day for sure. Yeah. And that, that one, that one deal, yeah, we made about a thousand bucks each. Well, a total rather, sorry. Yeah. Cause it's, we had to split it in half. So ended up being, right, right. it was like five and some change from that and then everything else. So yeah, we both pulled a thousand bucks that day. Yeah. Which Good was, day. yeah. I mean, and, and to go back to the, uh, the exhilarating aspect of it, it's yeah, that was, uh, my heart was thumping at that one, man. I really, really wanted to close that deal. And sure enough, man, we did it. I was stoked. So yeah, that's, that's what I would call a home run.
1: Absolutely. There's, yeah.
0: <laughs> but there's, there's uh there's always the other side to it, you know, where you have the days that are really, really a grind and you're making nothing. So that's just the nature of the beast though.
1: And worse, you have so many of those stories that end up, the, they don't answer the call at lunch or they show up and there's three people and you've, you know, you've done all that work and gotten all the logistics right. And it's all phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, and that, that happens way more often than the former. You know, you, you, a lot of times when someone says we have this many people and they want to do it and it's this big number, very rarely is that the case. It's it you you re- and and if you put it together, you really freaking work for it. You know, you really had to do some work. Because, dude, that I mean, that was a tour that wasn't even wasn't even on the books. You just had to make it happen and pull this thing basically. I mean, pulled it out of my ass and it happened to work. You know, it was basically taking a shot in the dark.
1: So. Yeah, you you have to just completely fabricate the whole thing. You know, you have all these different things you know are true, a certain timelines, certain. You know this, that, what you need, but you're basically cobbling together a tour just to, you know to get these people to have a great time to make it worth their money that they're paying.
0: Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to do is send these people out there for this bear tour,
1: and then he drops
0: you know almost five thousand dollars on this tour, and then them to them not see bears. It's like, and they're only out there for I mean for a third of the the standard tour time. So it's like their their probability of seeing any kind of wildlife is, is slashed immensely. I mean, the last thing I want to do is take that kind of money and then them not get the experience that I wanted them to have. But then again, I have no control over it. And I made sure, you know, it was never a situation where I tried to talk them into something that wasn't legitimate. I wasn't telling them, you know, this is how it's absolutely going to be. It's like, dude, this is a, you're going out there. These are freaking wild bears, man. You're not, you're not going to a zoo. It's just not like that. And you know, if you see them, you're 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 a lucky group of people, and I mean they liked it, you know, and they had a good time.
1: So you, I think you're a natural salesman, uh, you know, before before all that. But what is what is sort of a a lesson you learned from that job? Maybe not even necessarily about selling a, a tour, but more about like that you use in your in your life, dude. I'll tell you the
0: listening listening to what a person is telling you is so incredibly valuable and when i say listening i don't mean and i say this statement a lot it's played out to my girlfriend i promise you is you got to listen to hear and not listen to respond those are two very very different things and through having the amount of exchanges with with human beings how many of those exchanges I've really had. And it's, it's different, man. You can tell like from like a tour guide's perspective or some of these people that they get, they get groups and they do talk to a lot of people. You get, you get to talk to a lot of people. That's, that's right. But when you're standing on the dock and you're pitching tours like that, you talk to so many people. And I mean, it is like tenfold in comparison to what you would talk to doing any other job and you're not standing right on that front line. So through all of those exchanges, I have really learned to listen to what someone is telling you and, and believe it, man, like they're telling you what they want and what they need from you. And that's all that they care about at that moment. That has helped me so much, man. in, in pretty much every relationship in my life, you know, with my parents, with my, you know, siblings, with my girlfriend, any person, man, just paying attention being aware and conscious and listening to hear what that person is saying versus listening just to respond to them, just to have a response. Because at that point, you're really only focused on what you're going, what kind of your angle is. If you don't pay attention to what this person needs, you're not going to close that deal. You're just not. So as much as like, it's, it's valuable to me to use in my personal life. I mean, it's it's just as valuable to my wallet, you know? Like, I have to be able to do this or I don't make a paycheck. But then through that and doing it so many times, I have realized that I need to be paying attention to what someone is telling me. So listening is is the, the major value, I would say, kind of the thing that I've really learned and kind of honed in on um, since I started this kind of whole, the the tourism, you know, working in tourism being a seasonal, and then venturing, taking that, and then kind of moving into a sales role with that. It, listening is just it's so so imperative to what we do, and man, you know, you know that from from dude just being a bartender, like you got to freaking listen to these people, absolutely, you know. So, in
1: just the way yeah. you're talking about too. You can't listen and just respond, and I, I think that's something you can pick out in a lot of bartenders. Is you know they need to have the last word, or they need to say you know something mm-hmm. funnier, or they need to tell their own story every time they hear something. It's just you can tell mm-hmm. you can tell who 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 have learned the lesson that you're talking about exactly, and who hasn't pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely can, and it's really refreshing to see someone that you recognize in really quickly, you know, seeing a, like, for example, seeing a bartender, like when I sit down and grab a drink in an airport, you know, so many of those conversations are they're They're so like transient and just like fluid, you know, some, you you get that one rare person that you sit down and you get a drink from, you know, they got 10 minutes and they actually give you that 10 minutes. They don't just give you the 10 minutes to just say whatever you got to say, or for them to tell you their story. It's, they actually give it to you undivided and they're like, okay, man, yeah, this guy's kind of cool. I want to pick his brain, see what he's about. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Making a real connection.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, luckily, luckily in our line of work, we have been blessed with so many opportunities to actually do that in comparison to, you know, what I would say is the amount of opportunities that someone who, you know, works your standard nine to five job is kind of on the hamster wheel of life and they don't get to meet these so many people from so many different walks of life doing so many different things. We just have so many more opportunities to create those connections that a lot of people don't get and they don't even understand.
1: Yeah. I was, I was talking to somebody in they asked me about my interaction with people as a bartender. I was like, well, you know, on a a busy day, I'll interact and actually have a conversation with 50 to a hundred people and just throwing out that number. I mean, I, I honestly think that's, that's the right number. And as, as a salesman, it can be Mm -hmm. even higher because you're getting everyone off of that ship and yeah, you have those conversations, you make those connections. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity that, is very, very rare. And I, I definitely mm-hmm. value a lot for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, like it's becoming with this quarantine situation that we're encountering now and me not being able to, you know, go back to catch a can and go about my summer the way I have been over the past, you know, six years, so seven years, it's, it's really like, it's something that I'm missing, you know, already. And, it, you know, we're only in the first week of May. So, and it's kind of something that I think so many of us throughout the, the seasonal world kind of can take uh, for granted sometimes is we get so caught up in like kind of the day to day, the things that we're dealing with every day and kind of the hassles of working with tourists who, you know, sometimes we say they, you know, left their brains at home or whatever. You kind of get frustrated and you forget about what those real connections are. Now that I'm in a situation where I'm not getting that kind of stimulation out of my life that I typically would be getting in this portion of my year, it, it's becoming very apparent, very quickly, how much I really do miss that.
1: Yeah, it makes the the stir craziness even all the more. About this, dude.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you.
1: Well, let's let's you. talk about that for a second. But before we started, we were discussing. Um, you brought up the great point that we sort of have a an interesting connection to all this you know us being from midwest or the the southeast mm-hmm. and then now being in the west you in california and colorado and then our normal lives in the summer are in alaska with you know an industry that doesn't exist right now because of all this man it's just uh, our connection
0: and our perspective of how this pandemic is really unfolding and affecting the world on, on such a grand scale like our perspective is so interesting because we see something that you know like I said before my family doesn't really recognize and it's it's really hard to put into words um, to someone who doesn't walk that path throughout the summer and see all of these people like that in real time and with the cruise line industry specifically it kind of it was Really, like the vertex kind of of where this all really broke, like mainstream media news, like where it really got big, was from some of the ships that actually come to Ketchikan. It, it makes it a really kind of grassroots connection that you and I have, and some of our fellow friends, and a lot of people also in the, the entire seasonal world that will have to this kind of piece of history that a lot of other people are not going to have, and th- it's a. It's, it's a big group, but it's also a small group, you know, relative to the rest of the world. We kind of, we, sh- we share something that a lot of people, they just don't see it. They they don't see it the way that we see it. It's, it's, it's just interesting to have to to try to talk about it with, because you, you, you know, you got to get these feelings out and, you know, your thoughts about this whole ordeal, because it's so unprecedented. None of us have ever experienced anything like this before. You got to talk to your family. You got to talk to your friends. You got to talk about this. And When, you know, I talk to my family, it's, they just have a very different, I don't want to say it in a negative way, but it's a, it's a much smaller kind of tunnel vision kind of skewed perspective of it that, that it's vastly different than my perspective. I will definitely say that, but I find it very interesting.
1: It shows you the edges of their bubbles and, you know, where, where your bubbles are outside of that and how much is inside Mm -hmm. yours that isn't inside of theirs. And, you know, I know it's a a really small percentage of people protesting, yelling at frontline workers and really wanting haircuts. Although I do really want a haircut. Uh, You know, know, those, (laughs) (laughs) those people, it's just like, man, you know, they are missing out on so little and it has caused them to, Absolutely fall apart at the seams. And like I said earlier before we started, your life is totally different now than it would have been if this didn't happen. Like you're you're in California instead of Alaska. You're, you know, looking into other avenues instead of, you know, making those home runs every day on the dock. And they're mm-hmm. they want haircuts. And we're the mm-hmm. ones that are adapting and accepting that this is just this is a part of life. And they they mm-hmm. can't. And and you made the great point that us doing this sort of sets us up for that. And we're willing to, to go go to that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, just kind of in our, the lifestyle that we, we live, I think just by nature, it really does make us more adaptable to any kind of scenario. And I I hate to stress so much, just the, the amount of, you know, traffic in like, you know just human interaction that we have with so many different people it really does it just sharpens your awareness and you're kind of just ready to adapt to any kind of situation all the time it's kind of almost it's kind of weird because sometimes like it almost makes me feel like i'm kind of unfazed by a lot of things kind of like i'm just numb but really it's like it's totally the opposite like i'm just i'm ready for it you know like it's just like being prepared almost unconsciously you know
1: Emotional detachment and stoicism looks very similar, but it's yeah, it's very yes. di- very different on the backside.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's 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 such a great way, way to put it, dude. That that's pretty much uh, every minute of every day that I have, right there into words. Yeah, I can't I can't stress it enough that that it, it's just a weird thing that I keep encountering talking to some people who are not connected to this this kind of pandemic in the same way that we are
1: fucking bizarre but what can we do man stay adaptable crazy world out there that's for sure this is proving it Mm -hmm. so take me back you know as far as you want to go and let's let's build sort of the framework that has gotten you here to to catch a can to the seasonal life to where you're at now
0: shoot man okay i grew up in kentucky um just south of cincinnati ohio so just i mean not far from where you grew up you know It's all relative, obviously, Uh, but uh, from that area of the country, like a lot of people don't, they don't travel and they don't, they're very kind of stationary, complacent with life. You know, you do the nine to five kind of thing. And man, ever since I was a kid, it was just like, dude, this is not the freaking life that I want to live. I see so many people in a perpetual state of anger and like anguish. I don't want to be a part of it. So, dude, I'm talking from 8, 10 years old. I was telling my parents, as soon as I turn 18, I'm getting the hell out of here. And how many kids tell their parents that? You know, so many. Every time you get in (laughs) trouble, you're like, I'm running away from home. Well, man, I was freaking serious. I was not kidding. I was dead serious. Turns out, though, 10, 12 years down the road, I get to be 18. I got no funds in my pocket. I'm just some 18-year-old kid smoking a bunch of weed and trying to hang out with every chick I can see. That's all I cared about. So. You know, I I started dating this chick and, you know, we're doing our thing. Turns out it's it's not the right one. Surprising. I know, 19 years old, you figure you're going to marry that person, right? That was not the case for me. Relationship ends and I had a friend, which, Joey, I'm pretty sure you know Travis Carter. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, he had grown up in a town very close to where I grew up. Him and I had been friends. He was my best friend. Um, we were friends for a long time. So he had actually came up to Ketchikan to be a zip line guide at the Rainforest Sanctuary in 2011. So he, as soon as he went up there, he was like hounding. I mean, even before he left to go, he left Kentucky to go to Alaska. Keep in mind, he had never left home before. I mean, he had gone to freaking Mexico, you know, one time on a cruise when he was like 17 with his family. That's the extent of travel. And that's pretty much the extent of travel for most people in that area of the country at least from where I'm from. So he's like, before he's even going, he's like, dude, you should go with me. You should go with me. And I'm like, man, dude, like, no, I got this girlfriend. We're like living together. I'm not freaking just up and abandon her. So a couple months go by, he leaves. And man, as soon as he gets there, he's like, dude, you have got to freaking come check this place out. It is beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. So I am rushing off. Well, finally, me and said chick end up breaking up. I'm like looking for an avenue to get out, right? And this is probably a year year after he had been up there. So he's telling me, dude, I'm going to go back up. I'm going to go back up. So I had like, I don't know, I got another job and I was, I don't know, working in a warehouse for Amazon. I don't know, something like that. Of course, I got on this hamster wheel that I did not want to be on. And I had said my entire life, I was not going to do this, you know, nine to five or like eight hour a day kind of job thing. I did not want to do that. And here I am in the literally like in the epitome of that. I mean, warehouse work, that kind of a situation. And I'm like, dude, I can't do this. So it becomes 2013 and it's like, you know, January time. It's kind of starting going into the hiring season for for all of the tour companies there. And Travis was actually going into his first season as being a a manager at the the Zipline course. He said, dude, I can absolutely get you a job if you want to come. Like, 100%, no questions asked. All you got to do is just talk to these two guys, and that's it. Shit, man. Whatever, dude. Let's do it. So I fill out the application online. I send it in. Sure enough, I get a call very, very quickly. um, And it comes from Scott Yeomans. He's the guy that called me, the first one. And so I do my interview with Scott. It goes over super well. We chat, you know, 45 minute conversation, pretty much wasn't even an interview. He goes, basically it was just a scenario like, Hey, you're Travis's homie. You really want to come up here? That's pretty much what the extent of the questions that I got. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I do. It sounds fantastic. He has, you know, really talked it up. I, I really want to be a part of it. Okay, cool. So then he's like, okay, cool. So yeah, we got, you know, When's your next day available? Got to have you talk to this other guy. And it ended up being Derek Jetsky. He calls me. I got to do this interview. And it's like actually like a few interview questions. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? All that crap. So we go through the whole thing. He ends the conversation with, he goes, okay, so I got one more question for you. If you had, and I, I, dude, I vividly remember this. You know, if there's, if there's one animal in the world that you could be, what would it be? You know, what is it? I'm like, dude, it's a tiger. Of course tiger and he goes okay one last thing can you go ahead and um make the sound that a tiger would make for me and i (laughs) am like dude i am petrified i'm like what is this freaking weirdo wanting me to do right now this is so bizarre i'm like dude are you freaking serious he's like yeah like what's the what's the sound a tiger makes so dude, I mean I had to freaking bust out this 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 tiger roar. And uh I, I couldn't even tell you what it sounded like, but I can almost guarantee you it didn't sound anything like a tiger. But something came out of me and it was loud. I let this thing you know, this sound out. He starts cracking up and I hear all these voices in the background. Ha 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 ha, ha. So he had me on speakerphone the whole time, right? <laughs> so I put this freaking this this tiger show on for I don't know how many people were actually sitting in this office. Um it was several. You know, they they all laugh and whatever. So I get I hang up the phone. Cool man, great conversation. We hang up the phone, and I get a you know I get a text message an email whatever the the hiring process. He's like, yeah, man, you know, job's yours if you want it. Here's the start date. So we go through the whole thing, right? So I get the job. Well, Travis at the time he's like, so it was like you know mid January or whatever. So I got I'm in I'm in a situation where I got like no dollars, man. I mean I, I am I'm broke as a joke. I got enough money for, for a couple beers on the weekend and, you know, maybe a joint here or there. And I mean, I got nothing, enough money to put, put a little bit of gas in the car. So I had this, had this old, uh, 1992 Honda Prelude at the time. Loved the car. It was so fun. So I'm like, dude, you know what? I gotta, I gotta have some funds so I can buy this plane ticket to get there. And you know, I, I gotta pay for my way to get to catch again. So I'm like, dude, it's the only thing I got, got to sell it. I'm sure you've heard this scenario before. Sell everything I got, take that cash, I run with it, right? So yeah. I sell sell the car. I sold it for I think fifteen hundred bucks. So I got maybe two thousand dollars to my name at the most. I think it was closer to like eighteen hundred bucks, and which was you know just nothing. And I'm like, well, let's let's freaking do it, you know? So Travis is uh he's going to his brother lives in Tempe, Arizona, and in. I want to say it's like the middle of February, going into March. He was going out to his brothers and staying there for a little while. And then I was going to go meet him. So I fly out to Tempe. And dude, this is the first time I've ever flown in my life. No traveling under my belt whatsoever outside of going to, going to Florida and going to like Gatlinburg, Tennessee and things like that growing up. That, I mean, that's the extent of my travel. Never been on an airplane. I mean, I am freaking out getting on this airplane at CVG. In Cincinnati, I get you know I fly out there and we're gonna hang out in Arizona for a couple weeks, man. And I'd I'd never seen anything like the desert out there before, and it it was it was awesome. Loved it. We stayed there for two weeks, hung out in his brother's apartment. They had a really cool pool, you know, fifteen person big old jacuzzi there and all this crap, you know. And it's it's in the middle of third week of March and it's freaking ninety eight degrees there or something like that. I'm loving it. We're there for two and a half weeks, whatever, and we fly out. And we actually, for my first time going up, Travis is like, dude, you have got to take the ferry. Like, you haven't seen anything like this before. you got to take the ferry to go up there. So we're going to go take the ferry out of Bellingham to go up to catch camp. So we flew in. I think we flew into Portland, actually. And one of our other buddies picked us up there. We drove up into Washington, went to Bellingham. Camped out one night. It was pissing fucking rain in Washington. I just left the sun. And I'm like, dude, what kind of shitty mistake did I just make? And we camp out one night, no sleep whatsoever. Get up all haggard, drive into Bellingham, jump on the ferry. And we stayed, you know, we didn't, I didn't get a cabin or anything. Didn't have that kind of funds. That's for fancy rich people. So we, you know, do the sleeping bag on, on the lounge chair outside underneath the solarium. And dude, those next what three days of my life were bliss. I mean, they were the coolest freaking three days of my life to that point we'll say. I mean, dude, loved it. We just sat out there talking to all these really cool people. Most of them first time they're going to Alaska as well. Some of them had been there. Some of them from there, all these different really cool connections that we're making, you know, like we were talking about before. So, you know, three days later or whatever, you know, we pull into catch and, you know, we're pulling up and we're coming through the, you know, Tonga Narrows. Travis is like, dude, there's your home for the next six months. And I remember it was April 5th, the day we got there, pulled in on April 5th and our training for zip lining didn't start for another 10 days. So I got like, I mean, I got no car, virtually no money, just enough money to buy some food or whatever. So we go to Safeway, get the, get the things that we need. I'm staying at the bunkhouse. I go out to the bunkhouse, basically trapped in this bunkhouse for like 10 days doing nothing just waiting for all these guides to start showing up and man, one after another, they start showing up. Tony Mocha was one of my first friends I ever made there. Nice. He was, yeah, he was, he was one of the first people I met there. I was, I would think, I think I was there for maybe five or six days before he showed up. And I actually went on the van ride to like go pick him up from the airport. And yeah, yeah. Tony Mocha was one of the first people I met. Great human being right there. Yeah, man. All these, all these people from, you know, all these different places, all across the country start rolling in and they're back then, man, like it was, it was different than it is now. It wasn't so many college students really as much as it was like just kind of nomad people further on in life, mid twenties, late twenties into their thirties. And I think that's kind of something that's a little different now than it was back then. But so, I mean, I'm meeting all these people and I'm 21 years old at the time. I am meeting all these people and they're like, some like my, they, they became some of my closest friends and they're in their, you know, mid thirties. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. Dude, it it wasn't 10 days. And I I mean, I was hooked, absolutely hooked. I had more conversations in those 10 days about just incredible things that I had never even thought of. And you can, you could never, I can never replace that, you know? I, I learned so much right then about this, the seasonal lifestyle that I, I mean, I, boom, I was hooked. I've never, I haven't looked back since, man. That was my introduction into this whole lifestyle. And here I am, you know, taking steps way deeper into that and doing things that are using that same kind of path, but taking it several steps further and and making good financial decisions for myself still on that seasonal path. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's something that I, I value almost above everything else right there was that opportunity. And really taking to it, giving it a chance, just taking it for everything it's worth, man. And really living it. And I mean, dude, it's I've been to some awesome places, you know, lived in some really cool spots, met just incredible people that I never would have crossed paths with ever had I not done that. And here we are. I get to have conversations with you on a podcast.
1: You've reached bliss again, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, man. I have. Yeah, thank you for that. That was that was a great story. Look back at that that version of Brennan that was on the the hamster wheel in a, exactly the place that he told his parents at five year old five years old that he wasn't going to be and before you finally made the leap and said yes to Travis and yes to Scott and Derek what could you tell somebody that's in that same exact spot that maybe they're not hearing in a in a town in Kentucky or you know in somewhere in Georgia or you know anywhere
0: man that that one piece is just do it if you're in that situation that I was in, you have everything to gain, nothing to lose. You have everything to gain, nothing to lose, and you should do it and don't hesitate any longer because like I said i it took me you know roughly two years to come to the conclusion that that's act that's that I wanted to do it. Who knows where I would be i'm I'm not somebody who, who wants to you know walk the line of like what ifs and all that. I don't, I don't like to do that, but it's like, where could I be had I, you know, decided straight from the jump in 2011 to, to go down the seasonal path and to really give it a shot going and being a zip line guy in Alaska is, is like mystifying and incredible and crazy as it sounded. Uh, where would I be at, you know now, if I was two years deeper into the scenario? Who knows? You know But it, it worked out when it did, and, and it's been fantastic, man. And I I say to any of those people that are, you know, thinking and just thinking and thinking about it, just pull the trigger, man. Do it. Do it. That's what I say.
1: So seeing the change in you financially, you know, you're saying you had to, you sold your car, you had nothing, broke as a joke. That, you know, seeing you now, you're you're traveling, you spend time in Vegas, you've got a, a fashion icon for a girlfriend. Tell me, tell me about some of the ideas about the financial part of it have changed for you from that early moment to, to now.
0: It's pretty crazy, man, because it it was a, it took a while. Well, it was quick for me to realize that I can, I can make enough money doing something that I really enjoy that I can sustain a life. That I really want to be a part of and really want to be conscious in, you know, and not just going through the motions. I can make enough money doing something like that that I can sustain my life and be totally happy and exponentially more happy and satisfied and fulfilled in my life than I would have been had I just stayed on the hamster wheel doing that one thing that I did not freaking want to be doing. You know, as time got on, like went on, I met people who much more advanced in terms of like personal finance and like you know, understanding money, how to budget. I didn't even know what the hell that was back then. And just learning things through through so many conversations and, and all these connections with these people, learning their kind of tools that they have in life and applying those to my situation and allowing, you know, using it as a tool to get myself to where I am now. And that's, I can pretty much do whatever the hell I want whenever I want and don't really have to worry about it. And that's, that's a really great place to be, I think, especially at, you know, well, I'll be 29 in a few weeks. So making that, that's taking that step and going to become the tour guide, that really, it, it absolutely was without question the catalyst that has gotten me to where I am now. And I really, really did learn in that first season that I was a zipline guide, I really learned how to budget money and how to save money. I really did because you can save and pinch pennies and you're still having such a great time and you don't need to spend dollars all the time and you can hold them and it will sustain your life moving forward. You know, once that season's over and you can go on to the next thing, it bridges that gap for you. And I think a lot of it has to do with your day to day, you know, what you're doing Every single day is you're, you're valuing the connection and, you know, the experiences that you're having versus really what you're doing and what you're spending your money on, um, which I think a lot of people do in their day to day life that aren't necessarily part of the seasonal world. So I think you kind of you separate yourself from that lifestyle and kind of give yourself a, a, a much greater opportunity to really experience what you're doing. And really enjoy it. And then you don't have to so much so like just drop and spend and blow every single dollar that you have. And you can actually hold on to it, man, and, and use it in a really good way to put yourself in a much better situation later down the road, which is kind of where I'm at now. Um, and I really, really am appreciative to the people that kind of extended a hand and some of their knowledge to me, and I've been able to utilize it.
1: Obviously, it sounds like you're pretty thankful for past Brendan for making that decision, jumping into the Alaska thing. What is future in, say, you know, six to 10 years? What's future Brendan going to be happy that this Brendan did for him?
0: Not forgetting those lessons that I've learned from so many of those people, continuing to apply them to my life and learning new tools that are specific to me, that really help set me up for that point in my life. I can't stress enough how much, you know, reading a good book can do that for you, you know, and trying to always be learning something virtually every single day. It's, it's, it's very imperative for me to get to where, you know, to be that, that, that version of myself, Six to ten years or whatever. It's really more so using the tools that I have now and learning ways, learning new tools rather to to apply specifically to my life and remaining adaptable. Like we were talking about before, man. Like I got it. I I have to stay adaptable to all these different scenarios, man. Because like you know, we're we're in such an unprecedented time right now and facing something that none of us have ever experienced before. Who really knows what, what it looks like in six years? It, it, it's it's, it's going to be vastly different, I think, than, than any of us would have anticipated.
1: All right, Brendan. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It was great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, Joey, I appreciate uh, your time and, and giving me uh, kind of the platform to speak to the seasonal world. It's, it's really been an awesome little opportunity. I greatly appreciate it.
1: That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky, the theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Shappy, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the Seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out.